Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 440 for Tuesday, September 7th. Today on the show, a hugely successful weekend of soccer in Music City, the fallout from the putrid performance by Vanderbilt and Clark Lee's coaching debut, but we begin with what we learned around the SEC concerning Alabama, Georgia, LSU, and the rest of the league. So, so look, here's the deal with the Kingston Group and why you need to remember their name and why you need to contact them before you make any big decisions about your home. If you've been planning a, a renovation or a custom build or a new wing or whatever for your home, you know it can take years for that stuff. Now is the time to talk to the Kingston Group. They will flesh out all of the problems. They will make sure everything in the process is stable. They'll give you a budget and a timeline. They'll work through all the little custom minutia that makes your home special to you. I'm telling you, if you're thinking about doing this kind of thing with your home, talk to the Kingston Group now. Make sure you get all the information now. That way you can make the most informed decision in the future. The Kingston Group. BuildKG.com is the website. Take a few minutes and have a conversation with them. I promise you it will be worth your time. So what did we learn about the SEC in week one? Well, first and foremost, Alabama is the best team in America. No, they are not head and shoulders above Georgia or Texas A&M or even Ohio State, Oklahoma, or Clemson, but they are the best. And after hammering Miami and winning their 49th consecutive non-conference game, their 11th consecutive neutral site season opener, Bama has eliminated all doubts about their ability to reload, as if there were any. Quarterback Bryce Young was 27 of 38 for 344 yards and four touchdowns. And here's the scary part. He looked more dynamic than Mac Jones and more mobile than Tua Tungavailoa. And what's even worse for SEC football fans and maybe the rest of the country, the Tide held Miami and their star quarterback, Derek King, to just 266 yards and 4.3 yards per play. Only Georgia had a better defensive performance in the SEC in week one, considering the quality of opponent. So Alabama has the greatest coach of all time, the most talented roster in America, possibly the best offense in the country, and now potentially a vintage Nick Saban defense? Well, shit. Which really means the only question remaining about Alabama is, why on God's green earth would you ever schedule to play them in week one? Many have tried and all have failed. Proud programs, Miami, Michigan, USC, Wisconsin, Virginia Tech, Florida State. You not only lose, but sometimes your program and your players are broken. Why would you ever play this game? I do not understand. Speaking of defense, Georgia is completely disgusting, and it might be good enough to stop Alabama should the two meet in Atlanta for the SEC championship. In fact, Alabama and Georgia were the top two teams in America going into last weekend in my rankings and are the top two teams coming out of week one. Holding Clemson to three points, 180 yards, three yards per play, and two total rushing yards to go along with seven timely and monstrous sacks is one of the best defensive performances that I have seen in the last decade. And it's not because Clemson sucks. Don't buy into that narrative. It's because Kirby Smart's snarling rabid dogs are just that good on that side of the ball. 100% Georgia's offense has work to do. But Clemson is also one of the best defenses in America. And no one left on Georgia's schedule, including at least Florida for now, will provide the same type of defensive challenge that the Tigers did on Saturday night. 
Georgia is one of the best teams in America. They absolutely are playoff worthy, and they deserve to beat Clemson and to be mentioned among the best teams in the country. Are they good enough to beat Alabama? Who knows? We got a long way to go. Elsewhere, Texas A&M and Florida rolled big time against inferior competition, and we saw the flashes that we needed to see. Freshman quarterback Haynes King looked the part for the Aggies, but made a few mistakes. The Gators ran for 400 yards on the ground and shut out FAU for three quarters on defense. So there is some stuff to like there from both of those teams in in meaningless preseason-style football games, but the Aggies and Gators are both very good football teams. Kentucky's offense looked like a real offense, and if what we saw against an albeit atrocious UL Monroe team is the type of offense the Wildcats can reproduce, well, then they absolutely can finish second in the East, as some of us might have predicted on the Fringe Element podcast last week. Rate, review, and subscribe. Will Levis, the quarterback, threw for 367 yards and four touchdowns. Yes, you heard that right. A Kentucky quarterback threw for 367 and four And the Wildcats are now currently leading the nation on defense after two weekends after allowing a grand total of 87 yards and just 1.4 yards per play. We know that Mark Stoops' team will be salty on defense, but the offense and the quarterback position specifically were always the questions. So far, so good for what could be a very dangerous and very good Kentucky team. So what do we make of LSU? A totally reworked coaching staff and totally reworked roster was completely dominated by a Pac-12 team, especially in the trenches. Again, if you listen to the pods, some of you told you to take UCLA on the money line, definitely plus the three and a half. LSU averaged 1.9 yards per carry and were gashed by Chip Kelly's rushing attack. And I hate to say the season is over after one week because that's stupid and overreactionary, but that type of weak-ass line play is the type of stuff that leads to a nuclear meltdown in the SEC. But of course, we all know that LSU fans are known for their logical, patient approach to the Bayou Bengals. No matter what happens from here on out for LSU, you cannot avert your eyes. They are must-see television. The news broke on Saturday that Lane Kiffin was not allowed to travel with Ole Miss to their victory over Louisville on Monday night due to COVID, but that did not slow down Matt Corral and company. This team, like LSU, is must-see TV every single Saturday. And I stand by my prediction. They will win every single game that they are favored in, and they will lose every single game that they are an underdog. So about 8-4. and four. But man, it's going to be a fun 8-4. and four. Brian Harson's debut at Auburn couldn't have gone any better as quarterback Bo Nix had the most efficient passing day of his entire career in the 50-point win over Akron. South Carolina and the legend of Zeb Nolan rolled to Shane Beamer's first victory. Mississippi State needed the biggest comeback in school history to beat Louisiana Tech. Missouri handled Central Michigan with relative ease. Arkansas was tied heading into the fourth quarter against Rice but pulled away. And that, of course, brings us to Vanderbilt. The Commodores lost Clark Lee's debut to East Tennessee State 23-3. Along with their three total points, Vanderbilt's offense produced just 321 yards of offense against an FCS team. And all it does is conjure up memories of Derek Mason's god-awful 37-7 debut loss to Temple back in 2014. Did we know that Lee had a major rebuilding job on his hands on West End? Yes. Did we know that the roster was clearly lacking and that talent was a major issue? Yes. Did we know that going winless in the SEC was a real possibility this season? Yes. Did things get slightly better for Mason after that first embarrassment? Yes. 
but getting blown out at home against a SOCON team without showing much optimism at all at really any position on the field, that's a different story altogether, and it is completely unacceptable. I believe that Lee has the right skills and approach to be successful at Vanderbilt, whatever that looks like or however that is actually defined. But Saturday was a glaring reminder of how much work he has ahead of him. And if we all thought the 0-9 slog last year was, was the bottom for Doors football, well, we have to reevaluate that because Saturday night was the worst loss I've seen by a Commodore football team in over a decade, and that is saying a lot. This coaching staff has to show progress in some form or fashion, and frankly, there aren't many opportunities to prove that progress left on the schedule. Vanderbilt, an SEC team, opened as a six-and-a-half-point underdog against Colorado State, who, as a reminder, plays in the Mountain West Conference and is not even one of the better teams in the league. Godspeed, Vandy boys. Godspeed. I know everyone, myself included, was focused on college football, but my four-year-old was focused on soccer. And you could argue that this weekend was one of the greatest and most important 48 hours in Nashville soccer history. On Friday evening, Nashville SC, behind two more goals from developing superstar Hani Mukhtar, defeated New York City FC 3-1 in a must-win situation before heading out on the road for four straight in the Eastern Conference. And of course, Sunday night, I got to take my four-year-old daughter to a U.S. World Cup qualifying match against Canada. No, it absolutely did not end the way we wanted to. Canada clearly packed it in and played for the draw. But there were 40,000-plus people going absolutely bonkers, and my four-year-old daughter fell in love, especially when the U.S. scored a goal about 30 rows in front of us. The place went absolutely nuts. The crowd was electric. It was arguably the best atmosphere that I have ever seen at a soccer match in person. Granted, I've never been to an actual World Cup match for the U.S., especially on home soil. I've never been to an EPL game or anything like that. But it was the most exciting, most rowdy, most intense soccer crowd I have ever been to in my entire life. Two major thumbs up from me, but more importantly, two major thumbs up from my daughter. She had an absolute blast, and I guarantee you everyone that was there will say the same thing. Minus, of course, that they didn't win the game, even though we desperately needed the three points in our quest to qualify for the World Cup. But that's neither here nor there. The four-year-old was happy, and so I was happy. It was quite an evening and quite a weekend that hopefully proves that Nashville deserves a World Cup match in 2026. The Kingston Group is an award-winning, locally-owned custom home and remodeling firm, and the reason they've won awards and been successful for over a decade in Nashville is because their process is better than everybody else's. If you're going to do a major remodel and spend a whole lot of money on your house, you need to plan all of that on the front end with all of the information possible. And this is where the Kingston Group's process comes in. They will take the time to make sure you have every single bit of information you need to make the right decision for your home. So if you're thinking about doing something in the future, you need to call the Kingston Group now. BuildKG.com is the website. Just have a conversation with them. That's all I'm asking. I promise you, BuildKG.com is the website. Thank you guys all for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed that weekend of college football and had a great holiday weekend and great soccer weekend. So please share the show. Tell everybody you know about the product. My name is Braden Gall. This has been the 440 for Tuesday, September 7th. The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler.